reading from the book of Daniel. It pleased Darius to set upon over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel is one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him up over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Then they carried near and said, they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man Within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The things stand fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of those exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the land of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded it, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, at, was he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning. Hey, we finally made it to the lion in the video. 
kids are literally like, why is there a lion in this video? And it's like, ah, just hang on for a little bit and we'll, we'll talk about it. And I've been talking for a couple weeks about what's going to happen today during this passage and maybe dressing kids up like lions and bringing them out. So let's go ahead and do that first. I, I'm kidding. We're definitely not doing that. Um, welcome today. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. I really am. I should be up here. Um, and it's so good to be with you. We've been walking through the book of Daniel over the last several weeks. And today we uh, reached this point. We're going to talk about where uh, Daniel encounters a, a very difficult situation, even as he's trying to do the right thing. Um, and it kind of reminded me uh, about a week ago, I had a project I was trying to do on the house and I reached out to Cody, our good friend Cody. And I said, Hey, would you happen to be available for about two hours tops tomorrow? And he was like, yeah, for sure. And that just means it's going to take all day and it's going to be a nightmare. Um, that's what you should expect. If I invite you over to do a project for two hours, it's going to be bad. Uh, we were doing crown molding on our main floor. And uh, here's what I would just tell you. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. If you have to, just leave the ceilings bare. You don't want to do this. It will drive you crazy. Uh, it's all about cuts and angles and measurements and all those things. And, and on the first several, all the cuts were done right. Literally, like, and I knew they were. I measured over and over again, and I watched the College of YouTube for hours to make sure that I knew how to do this. And, and all the cuts are right, and, and yet, uh, when these things would come to line up, these angles didn't work out. It was going to take a lot of caulk to make this look halfway decent, and it started to just drive me crazy that uh, we were seemingly doing what was right, and yet it was making a mess. Now, we came through it, and it's, it's fine and, and all good. But as I was thinking about that, and I was actually thinking about this passage this morning, what we see in one of the most iconic accounts in the Bible, and definitely in the book of Daniel, is we encounter Daniel today in this well-known chapter inside of this tension, this tension that we may feel. Especially if you have a relationship with Christ, you'll feel this. This tension of faithfulness but pressure, faithfulness and pain, faithfulness and a lot of questions that may arise. And there are really two sides of the coin that I want us to think about as we look at this this morning and walk through this, this question. What do we do when our faith in God actually makes things more difficult? And where do we go when our faith doesn't keep life from getting more difficult? And we'll see that put on display here in this passage. And so before we move into it, let me pray for us and we'll walk through this together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. I pray that you would speak to us now. I pray that you would speak to whatever we brought in with us. I pray that you'd speak to us no matter what age we are. I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds to see what it looks like to be and remain faithful even when things can start to go sideways. God, would you assure us of your goodness? Would you show us who you are? Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to dive into this. Chapter 6, start at the beginning here. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so the king may suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all of the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So we have a new king. If you were with us last week, Pastor Paul preached on this um, due to disobedience, due to rebellion, due to pride. 
the previous kingdom falls, and so now we have a new king, and we have a new kingdom that comes into place, and we still have Daniel, this exile, who's now about 90 years old in the kingdom. And so this king, Darius, he establishes chief executives over his provinces, essentially managers. That were these satraps. And over them, these three high officials, who Daniel's one of them, to keep record and to keep accord. But because Daniel, um, he's known, he's respected. It says he has a spirit within him. He rises to this place, even in this new kingdom, where Darius is about to place him second in command, right underneath himself, because he has an excellent spirit. What was this spirit? The spirit of God. We've seen this through the entire book. Daniel has a spirit of God that he carries through a young age as he's exiled, as he moves into this foreign land, Babylon. He's faithful. And it says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground of complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we, will, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find a connection with the law of his God. They conspire. They want to come after him. They want to cut him down. They want to remove him from consideration for this role, but they know that they can't do it because Daniel actually has good character because Daniel actually follows God. The name of Daniel, it has three syllables and each one of them have a meaning in Hebrew. Dan means judge. If you didn't know that, there you go. The little E means my, and L means God. So Daniel's name literally means God my judge, or God is my judge. Nobody else. God is my judge. And Daniel lived up to this name in the truest sense. He developed this reputation. He developed a good reputation. Everybody in the kingdom knew what Daniel was about. This is a man who trusts his God no matter what. This is the man who shows incredible character and doesn't waver no matter what. This is the man who doesn't fear any man, but only his God. And here's the deal. Not everyone was on board with it. And so they start to scheme. 122 individuals start to have side conversations about what they can do to remove Daniel from power. And they devise this plan. Here's what it looks like. Then the high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All right, if you want to convince a king of something, that's a good way to start, right? Live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. They knew exactly what they were doing here. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. You've heard of employee of the month? This is God of the month. That's essentially what they roll in with. Hey, Let's do this. For 30 days, everybody in the kingdom, they can only bow to you. They can only worship you. And if they bow to anyone else or any other God and we catch them doing that, that's so disrespectful. Let's put them in the den of lions. Darius is not a follower of Christ. Darius is not a, a, a God-fearing man in the sense of the God of the Bible. And yet at the same time, he really respected and loved Daniel. 
But he liked this idea, and so he goes along with it. And so he signs this document that cannot be revoked. It can't be changed. So what does Daniel do here? What does Daniel do? I mean, this is a point of tension right here. Here's what it says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, fully aware, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And catch this, as he had done previously. This is nothing new. Daniel's not saying, hey, you signed this ordinance. Now I'm going to do something that's really going to make you angry. No, Daniel's just doing what he's always done. He's just remaining faithful. This is what he would do. He didn't change anything about it because his God hadn't changed. So he wasn't going to bend over here and reject over here. And so he goes up and he prays and he does what he always does. This character, I love it. Actions and thoughts over a period of time develop character. Not one time. It's what becomes normal that speaks to our character. What becomes normative. He knew the document was signed. He knew it would cost him. But he worshiped his God. This brings up this dilemma that we often face between fear of God versus fear of man. We see this in our life all the time. Who are we going to bow to? right? I watched a lot of sports over the last couple days, probably more than I should have. I'll be honest about that. Um, And about 50% of the interviews after the games as they're interviewing the players, uh, you hear God mentioned, right? You hear God thanked, and that's that's great. It's not bad. not judging any of that. But it did make me wonder, through the lens of this passage, would these players be saying the same thing if they lived in a country where it was illegal to actually worship God or where it would actually cost them something? That's where we are here. This was going to cost Daniel greatly. And here's the reality, and we don't like to think about this often, especially not in our culture, especially not in Western culture, Um, But following God, here's what I mean. Truly following God, the God of the Bible, it's unavoidable. It will cost you. It will cost you. God says that himself. It will cost you. Now, this is not the culturally popular or acceptable stance to take because following the God of the Bible, not some watered down, Jesus is my homeboy, take it or leave it version of God, but the actual God of the Bible, he's calling you to something. He's changing your heart for something. He's giving you a greater purpose. He's giving you greater character. His spirit is within you. And so along the way in life, that may cost you It may cost you your job. It may cost you promotions. It may cost you respect. It may cost you wealth, relationships, even family. It doesn't mean that we invite those things, but we're not surprised if they come because following God, especially in our culture, comes with cost. Daniel was well aware of this tension, and yet he chose to fear God instead of having a fear of man, and he lives up to his very name, and here's what happened. These men, these schemers, the one that would cut each other's throat to get ahead, these political operatives, they come back to the king. And they said, then these men came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and pleading before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, do you remember, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except for you shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king said, answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Who cannot be, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, 
who is one of the exiles from Judah, knows, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you've signed, but makes petitions three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He wanted to figure out a way to keep Daniel alive. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him, this anxiety welling up in him. But then the men came back a second time by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, King, no, O king, this is the law of the Medes and Persians. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought, and he was cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. If you grew up in church, you've probably seen this on flannel graph as a kid in Sunday school, right? We've got lions, and we've got Daniel, and we've got, yeah, but this is real. This is this 90-year-old about to be lowered into his potential tomb. Everything on paper says this is the end. Daniel is doing the right things as he has done throughout his life, but things are going the wrong way. Let's pretend that we don't know the end of this story. Let's pretend that we're reading this for the first time. This is where we come to this point and we say, what in the world is going on? God, why would you allow this? This does not make sense. Why would you allow this to happen to one of your most faithful, to allow them to be put to death? They're doing the right thing. And this is one of the hardest places to be in the life of a Christian. I believe this. We get the consequences that come with sin when we blow it and there's consequences. But what about when we're actually being faithful and we're trying to follow and honor God? If you follow Jesus, you have, are, or will find yourself here. It's where the heartfelt question comes to the surface. God, help me understand this because I don't see it. God, why would you allow this? The losses, the pain, the shattered dreams. Daniel has remained faithful and he's literally thrown into a lion's den. Not make-believe, not some goofy story that's tossed into the Bible. Literal, historical, Daniel is lowered into a lion's den. Can you imagine this picture as he's lowered into the darkness? And there are these lions who historically would not have been fed for days and days and days. So they are ready to seek and devour whatever gets dropped in there. And it's just Daniel. It reminds me of the Tim Teller quote that says... Um, you often don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's Daniel here. Alone in this pit on paper set to die. Now when we bring this into our own lives in these situations that seemingly don't make sense, especially when we're seeking to be faithful and we're seeking to honor God, it's during these painful seasons or circumstances or pressure-filled circumstances or seasons that we have a tendency to respond in a few different ways. And this is for me as much as it is for you because I often fall into these. The first one is we can tough it out. It's essentially the God doesn't exist idea. Now, we might be surprised by this. You might say, I don't believe that at all. I'm, I'm, I believe in God. I have a relationship with him. And yet this is extremely common. It's the grin and bear it strategy of dealing with painful seasons and circumstances. I can stand on my own and I can tough it out. And this is often an atheistic strategy. Why is that? Because it says that in a great time of difficulty, I'm going to persevere or move forward under my own power, in my own strength, as if God doesn't exist. 
I'm going to rely on my own ability. I'm going to keep this to myself because I've got it. My strategy is all about what I'm going to do. You know what I find really interesting in this passage? Do you notice what Daniel doesn't do? What at least it says he doesn't do? He doesn't try to find a way out. There is no mention of him trying to say, you know what? I bet I can... I bet I can convince the king. I'm pretty high up in the kingdom. Like, I bet I can find a way out of this. Maybe I can make this better. Maybe I can find a fix, find a solution. We don't see that at all here. Daniel's fully reliant. God's going to deliver him or he's not, but he's going to remain faithful. But we can often go to that response or maybe the next one, flight. We essentially run to false gods this flight response of escaping, we turn to something other than God that we believe will offer some type of relief, even if it's only temporary, even if it's only for a little bit. Sometimes we do that when it comes to distractions. Um, We can run to money, we can run to sex, we can run to a substance, we can run to any distraction that we believe will offer this relief until we find out that essentially nothing has changed and the cycle continues. Or entitlement. I feel this one, I deserve better. That's this idea here. I deserve better than this, which can lead us to anger and despair. Why anger? Because I feel like God has betrayed me. I had to deal with you, God. I would follow you. I'd sacrifice lifestyle for you, priorities. I'll be generous. I'll show up and you'll make my path straight and you'll give me a comfortable life. Bad things are supposed to happen to people out there, not to me because I'm following you. I'm one of the good people. And this can just as easily lead to despair because suffering makes me wonder if I'm not good enough for God. And you can call this the why me problem that pops in. Or maybe it's this last one, abandonment. God, where are you? Sometimes we know God is good and we know that he's in control. But the question that we wrestle with is God good for me? And here's what this might take. God, I feel like you've abandoned me. Where are you? This is such a common question that we might not ask out loud, but it's something that pops up in our hearts. Our kids ask this question. Spouses ask this question. Family members ask this question. Other students you go to school with will ask this question if they have a relationship with God at times. Where are you? God, I lost my job and I need to provide. Where are you? Why would you allow this? God, my child is sick. How would you let this happen? God, this is happening in this relationship why haven't you stepped in? God, marriage is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Things aren't, doesn't feel like things are getting better. Where are you in this? God, my kids are running like the prodigal. Why would you allow this? God, I want to be married and that still hasn't happened. Where are you? God, I'm still wrestling with this addiction and I feel completely lost in it. Where are you? God, why would you allow and fill in the blank? Where are you? I felt these things. I've asked these questions. Maybe you have too. It would have made sense for Daniel to feel and ask the same, to scream out, God, this isn't fair. God, how could this be any good or have any purpose to it? It would have made sense for Daniel to say, you know what? I think I'm going to actually just fast from prayer for the next 30 days, right? Feels like that might be a good option. Is this really that big of a deal? Tim Keller says this. He says, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life but only as an interruption. And yet that's not what we see here. What we get here is an echo back to Daniel 3. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace as they're about to be taken for not bowing to the king and placed in this furnace that's heated up seven times hotter than normal. What do they say? I love these words. We believe God will deliver, but 
even if he doesn't deliver us, we won't serve another God. This brings us to this parallel reality check. On one hand, hear this, we should absolutely trust that God can and will deliver, that he can and will resolve things, that he can and will heal, and at the same time be resolved to trust and continue trusting even if he doesn't or even if it looks different than we wanted or expected. And this doesn't mean that we ignore the pain. It doesn't mean we hide it. It doesn't mean that we push it down or push it away. But it does mean that in all of it, we believe that God has a purpose in it. Because if we're being honest, we often live our lives with two main agendas at heart. Self-satisfaction and comfort. Those are two of our greatest values. Satisfaction and comfort. But what about when things fall through? What about when that doesn't come to pass? it should start to reorient us that maybe there's something more to it. Maybe there's something more to my life, the very purpose of my life. And God says there absolutely is. And Daniel knew this at his core. It wasn't for him to be satisfied or for him to be comfortable. It was for him to be, bring glory to his God. That's the only way that suffering and loss makes sense in this broken world that we live in is if there is a bigger purpose to our life, because eventually our life here on this earth will come to an end. But this greater purpose that God gives us, that he says is I want you to be a reflection of Christ. I want you to be a reflection of me, that even on your worst day, it's not lost on me. And ultimately your purpose is to bring me glory. Daniel got this. I'm sure it's not easy, but he got this. It says, I love this. So here's what happens. (laughs) And a stone was brought and it was laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his signet and with the signet of the Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions, no food were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, picture this scene, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. He runs out to this den and he came near the den where Daniel was and he cried out in a tone of anguish. Watch what he cries out. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? This non-believing king wants desperately to believe that Daniel's God is the real God. Did he deliver you? Please let it be true. Please let it be true that this God that you've remained faithful to has actually delivered you. And you can feel this climactic point here. Maybe a few moments of silence. Is all hope lost? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. I love what the pastor, Charles Spurgeon from London, said about this uh, once. He said it was a good thing the lions didn't try to eat Daniel because they wouldn't have enjoyed him. He was half grit and the other half backbone. (laughs) Daniel, full of grit, unwavering, full of godly character, 
You'd be hard pressed to find anybody that tops him. And here's the thing though. Daniel's character is directly connected to God's character. That's the only way that this works. In verse 23, how has Daniel been able to trust in his God through some really tough times, through exile, through being taken away from family and friends, through the threat of death several times, through the pressures of interpreting dreams, through living in this foreign kingdom, and now through being lowered into a lion's den, how is this able to happen? Because he knew his God, our God, has proven himself to be trustworthy has proven himself to be faithful to us. Daniel's faith is born out of a long history of remembering God's faithfulness. And oftentimes that's the most important place that we need to go to actually remember how God has been faithful. We could open up, we could pop a mic into this room right now and we could say, hey, how has God shown up in your life? How has he been faithful? How has he shown you this? And we could share stories and stories time and time again how God has shown up in your story. Even if it's hard for you to track your story of faithfulness, you can borrow someone else's. We could look back at these stories in scripture and see how God has shown up time and time and time again, never letting his kids down. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the circumstances got better. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything just became amazing. And yet God remains faithful and close to his people, to his children. He does it in his word. He does it as he comes to us in his spirit. He does it through the community around us. But we could, we could recount this time and time and time again, this long story of God's faithfulness. We see it throughout scripture. By faith, Noah obeyed and he built an ark and God saves his family. By faith, Abraham and Sarah received the son God promised them, even though they were way too old to have a child. By faith, Joseph overcame betrayal, slavery, false accusations, and imprisonment to save the nation of Israel. By faith, God's people left Egypt and they walked through the Red Sea and it parted on each side for them. And by faith, the Israelites marched around the wall of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. These weren't perfect people. They had struggles. They had doubts, they made mistakes, they had flaws and weakness, but they all had one thing in common. They put their hope in God and persevered in faith, waiting on God to show he's trustworthy again and again and again. God had a perfect track record of keeping his promises that goes all the way back to Genesis and stretches all the way into your life today. And it doesn't always look the way that we want or expect. Let's put that on the table. We wish it did and sometimes it doesn't, but there's purpose in all of it. Because we often don't see the full picture. We don't see the eternal perspective in view. But if we did, we wouldn't necessarily need faith. This is the God who keeps his promises in the past, who keeps his promises in the present, who will keep his promises into the future. And I get it. Even if you feel like you've been let down, even if you don't know how the story comes to resolve, even if it's hard to believe and you're in a hard season and even in your lowest day, believe it. He has said, I'm still working for your good, for the no... I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Did you notice Daniel was not alone in the darkness? God was with him. And in your darkest day, as a child of God, you are not alone in it. God is with you. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his promise. He gives us his truth. We are such forgetful people. I am such a forgetful person. Sometimes we have to step back and we need to remember. And Daniel could track this, and we need to track this. 
God is faithful, so I trust. That's the big idea here today. We should trust God on the basis of his character, not on the basis of our circumstances. Here's how this wraps. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, uh uh-oh, were brought, and they were cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the dens, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Check this out. This is phenomenal. Peace be multiplied to you. This is a non, formerly non-believing king. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. I love these verses because it reminds us that there's purpose in all of it, in all of your pressure, in all of your pain, in all of the unknown, that none of it is wasted, in all of the loss, in all of the doubts, that none of it is wasted. The king from another nation honors the God of Daniel. This is literally the prophecy of Genesis 27, 29 coming to fruition that the nations would bow down to Israel's God. And as prophesied, Israel will return to her homeland, the birthplace of the Messiah, due to the influence of Daniel on a Babylonian ruler. Cyrus the Persian would start to release people and send them back home. And these events that we see here set in motion the coming of a savior who we'll talk about starting next week on Advent who will defeat for once and for all the enemy who prowls the earth like a what? Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Because of the finished work on the cross, Jesus shuts their mouth. And this all points to him. All of this foreshadows Jesus. You can see glimpses of it throughout. I love what a commentator said. They said, a stone is placed over Daniel. In the morning, Darius arrives at what could be called Daniel's tomb to discover he's not dead, but alive just like what we see with Jesus, to prove for once and for all that death could not hold him. Eventually, Daniel will die, but Christ, Christ is very much alive. And his resurrection means everything to us, to his kids, especially when life goes sideways, because it reminds us that all is not lost, even if we were to lose everything. But the resurrection is not just some consolation. It is restoration, this promise that we get it all back, the love, the loved ones, the good, the beauties of this life, but in new unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength, this day that is coming. This is the greatest consolation to the pain and suffering that we may face, especially that which results from simply living in a broken world inside of broken bodies. The loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a dream of children, the dream of a spouse, of mental health, the loss of physical health, the loss of care replaced with abuse, the loss of love replaced place with neglect through the cross of Christ, our King, we will get it all back. We get it all back that all of the wrong is made right. All of the lies are made untrue because he is all together good. And this is where things are headed in and through Jesus. Take hope in that. Jesus is 
as we've seen throughout this book, and you will see in any book of the Bible, he is the truer and the better. It all points to him, that Jesus is the truer and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, whose obedience is now given to us, that Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, but not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered God's call to leave the comfort of his home and go into the unknown. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for you, for me. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, who you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Esther, Jonah, countless others. And Jesus is the true and better Daniel, who being lowered into a lion's den of death emerges early the next morning alive and vindicated by God. If we need more of a reason to believe, to trust, we need no look no further than the beautiful, beautiful divine act of grace in God sending his son Jesus to us. So let me just encourage you with this. And I mean this, that no matter what you face, no matter what you might be facing, no matter what life brings, no matter what it holds, even though it's challenging, if you believe that God is really God, if you believe that Jesus is really Jesus, then stand firm in this hope. Remember his goodness. Look back. Remember he's with you in it, in all of it. Knowing that in this hope, self-satisfaction, take a back seat to something far better, the glory of Christ our King, a King with character unmatched and a promise to never abandon or turn his back on his people proven through the wood, the nails, the blood, the pain, the stone, and the rebirth of the one that death could not hold. Let me just say this to you. He knows you. He sees you. He has you because he loves you. Look back and be reminded time and time again that this God, the living God, is altogether good. And that good includes you. Jesus, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the example of Daniel who remained faithful even when things went sideways. He remained faithful even when pressure came. He remained faithful even when culture and society didn't agree with it. He remained faithful even when he was slandered and it would cost him everything. He remained faithful in the pit. And God, I pray that for us, your church, we would remain faithful to you and you alone. There is such a great temptation to bow to other things. May we bow only to you. God, for those who might not have a relationship with you, would you draw them into one today? Would you open up their hearts, open up their minds to you to see that you don't have to clean yourself up to come to this cross. You don't have to get yourself out of this uh, pit of life, if you will, to come to Jesus. You can bring him your worst, humbly bow, and he will give you his best. He'll give you a relationship with the King and new life in Him. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness, even when we sometimes are seemingly faithless. We pray this in your name. Amen.